Welcome to the first ever series of podcasts by the Secretariat of Current Affairs UMSU. In light with the celebration of Malaysia Day, where the discussion drops in the past history of the formation of Malaysia, which is the Malaysia Agreement 1963, which known as MA63. Initially, Malaysia is formed with Singapore, North Borneo, and Sarawak. However, Singapore left Malaysia in the year of 1965. Hence, several doubts arose, such as does the MA63 sign at the outset during the formation still bind on the Sabah and Sarawak? Also, what is it so important to both Sabah and Sarawak right now? So it will be revealed by our host, Dr. James Chin. But just a disclaimer before we start, the podcast is purely an academic podcast. So let's go. Allow me to introduce myself first. Yeah, I'm yeah, really yeah, go ahead. the head of advocacy of the Secretary of Current Affairs. Alongside with me is the director of the Secretary of Current Affairs, Mr. Tan Keng Hong. And both of us are from the Student Union of University of Malaya. We are appreciating that you accept our invitation to speak for the academic podcast. The first question is, okay, the Malaysia Agreement 1963 is only briefly covered in the National History Textbook. However, the story behind the MA63 is complicated and many Malaysians still do not understand how Sabah, Sarawak and the peninsula first came together in the MA63. So for the audience who are unfamiliar with it, can you briefly share what was its objective and how significant was it for Sabah and Sarawak? Okay, so to understand how MA63 came about, you have to remember uh, the starting point is basically after the Second World War. So after the Second World War, uh, Britain basically ended up with uh, five different territories in Southeast Asia. So the first one was Malaya, the second one was Singapore, The third one was North Borneo, which became Sabah. Then you had Brunei and Sarawak. So they had five different territories. So in the 1950s, they negotiated self-government and eventual independence for the state of Singapore and Malaya. So you had these two uh, who became uh, uh, self-governing and Malaya became independent in 1957. So towards the end of the 1950s, there was a great push Uh, by the international community, especially the UN. They had a thing called the decolonization process. And also Britain adopted a thing called the East of Swiss policy. So basically, they wanted to grant uh, ex-colonies or colonies of the UK independence. Huh? So it not only happened to Malaysia. You see that India also gained independence after Second World War. Many countries in Africa that were under the British also gained independence. So in the case of Southeast Asia, In the 50s and 60s, the British were basically looking for a way to get out of the region uh, and grant these countries independence or these territories independence. Now, imagine you were a British official, you were sitting in London and you look at the map of Southeast Asia. So what was the thing that was worrying you? The thing that was worrying you at that time was that we had a thing in the world called the Cold War. This was a competition between the Western Bloc and the communist bloc led by uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, and China, right? So you were worried about this part of the war falling into the hands of the communists. You have to remember, you already had the Malayan emergency, remember, where the communists tried to challenge the British and also the communist movement, active communist movement in Sarawak and Singapore. So if you were a British official sitting in London, 
you want to get out of the region, but you need to do it in such a way that will ensure that uh, these territories that you control uh, will not fall and that you will not leave a very messy political environment, right? So basically, your choice of giving independence to all these territories uh, basically was, was not possible. Huh? You cannot leave the region and say grant independence to all these five territories. You cannot have five new countries. So the only way forward is to federate all these territories and come under a single political entity. So that is the reason why uh, Tunggu Abdul Rahman made a famous speech in Singapore where he announced that he wanted to create a larger federation. And this larger federation will consist of Malaya, Singapore, North Borneo, Brunei and Sarawak. Uh, the short story is that basically Brunei, after the first meeting to discuss this, did not want to join. So we ended up with the other four territories, Malaya, Singapore, North Borneo and Sarawak. Now, to bring all these people together, there was a series of meetings and there was also two surveys done to see what were the people of Sabah and Sarawak think about this idea of the federation. Huh? So this all came together in a legal agreement that was signed in the UK and this agreement was called the Malaysia Agreement, which led directly to the formation of this federation. So that is the background of the Malaysia Agreement. Now, the reason why the people of Sabah and Sarawak take this very seriously is because they see this as the founding document for the Federation of Malaysia. Now, many people in Peninsula Malaysia regard the Federation as sort of an expansion of the Federation of Malaya. Remember, Malaya became independent in 1957. So most people take the view that you know, in 1963, basically Malaya became larger by adding on North Borneo, adding on Sarawak, adding on Singapore. But that is not how many people in Sabah and Sarawak see this. They see the Federation of Malaysia in 1963 as a completely new political entity. And this entity was created by this international agreement called the Malaysia Agreement 1963. Okay, is that clear enough? It's a very clear uh, explanation of the background of the okay. of the formation. Okay. All right. So, yeah, in the when they signed the agreement, actually for Sabah and Sarawak, they are actually the equal partners between with the Federation of Malaya. Is it? Okay. So that is a very interesting question. It depends on how you see it, and depend on where you come from. So the original agreement was actually signed uh, under uh, five different parties. You had the UK. Malaya, Singapore, North Borneo, and Sarawak. So there are many arguments on both sides, whether they're equal partners or not. So we have to leave Singapore to one side because Singapore, as you know, left the Federation in 1965. So let's look at the agreement. Now, the argument says that they are supposed to be equal partners because they all sign on the document that says the Federation of Malaysia and the Malaysia Agreement 1963, completely new federation. But there's also a lot of people who think that uh, it's not really equal partner because these two states agreed to enter this federation. And once you enter the federation, you become one of 13 states. In other words, when you come in, you become a state. You may be an independent member or you may be an independent entity when you sign the agreement. But once you sign the agreement, you become a member of the club. So your status immediately is different. Huh? 
So the analogy people use is that, you know, if you're not a member of the club, then you're not a member of the club. But once you become a member of the club, you've got to follow the rules and regulations of the club. So the rules and regulations of the Federation of Malaysia is that you're a member of one of the 13 states. Okay. But there are some people argue that, oh, this can't be right because we are the founder members. Because we help to found the federation, you cannot just regard us as an ordinary member of the club. So the ordinary member of the club will be the 11 states in Malaya, but we are founder members. So we have special status. Maybe membership class A and the other are class B. So the class A members is Sabah, Sarawak and Malaya. So this is where the argument lies. So there are many people who argue on both sides and it really depends on how you look at history. All right, thank you for your explanation. So moving on, um, in the year of 1976, the amendment of the Article 1 of the Clause 2 in the Federal Constitution was amended, and this was regarded by many as having downgraded the autonomy of Sabah and Sarawak. Yeah, can you explain what does it mean with the downgraded and what were some of the major impacts towards the Sabah and Sarawak? As previously, after the formation of Malaysia, the Federal Constitution the original Article 1, Clause 2 is actually, Borneo is excluded out of the 11 states of the Malaya. But after the amendment of the Article 1, Clause 2, it made many arguments until today. So yeah, what is your opinion about this? So to understand the controversy of 1976, you need to go back to the original draft of the 1963 uh, constitution, the one that was adopted after the Federation of Malaysia came into being. So under Article 1 of the Federation of Malaysia, it says that Article 1-2-A, the Federation consists of the following. And there were three parts in the original constitution of 1963. Yeah? The first part says that the states of the Federation consists of A, the states of Malaya, the 11 states, B, the Borneo states, Sabah and Sarawak, and C, the state of Singapore. So obviously, Singapore left in 65. So in 1976, when they amended the constitution, basically they say the state... The, so in 1976, when they amended the constitution, they said the states in the Federation of Malaysia consist of all the 13 states. So they removed B and C and put Sabah and Sarawak together the list of all the 11 states in Malaya. Now, many people in Sabah and Sarawak are very unhappy about this because they take it to mean symbolically that Sabah and Sarawak has been downgraded to be equal to all the other states in Malaya. In other words, one of 13 states. Many people want to see the constitution go back to the original draft, minus the Singapore section that says that the Federation of Malaysia consists of A, the states in Malaya, and B, Sabah and Sarawak. So they take it to mean that symbolically, the Federation of Malaysia consists of three equal partners, which is Malaya, Sabah, and Sarawak. So that's where the controversy lies. All right. So moving on the next question. So in the past recent year, in the year of 2019, the Pakatan Harapan Coalition, who won the 14th general election, proposed the constitutional amendment of the Article 1, Clause 2 of the Federal Constitution to separate Sabah and Sabah from being listed together with the 11 states of Malaya after the amendment in the year of 1976. So, however, unfortunately, the constitutional bill did not get the green light after the second reading. 
leaded by Tun Dr. Mahathir and to fails to get a two-thirds majority. So in your opinion, why did the Gabungan Party Sarawak reject the bill? And do Sabah and Sarawak have lost the golden opportunity to restore their original status in the Federation? Yeah. So to understand what happened in 2019, you have to understand that in the 2018 historic general elections, one of the very unusual things was that in the political manifesto of Pakatan Harapan, they had a thing called the five pillars, uh, the five reform pillars in the manifesto. And one of the five pillars referred to Sabah and Sarawak. So this was the first time since independence that Sabah and Sarawak had a very high political profile in the general elections. So one of the things they promised to do in that manifesto was that they promised to restore the rights of Sabah and Sarawak and the sentiments of the people of Sabah Sarawak in regards to the Malaysia Agreement. So one of the symbolic acts they promised was to restore the wording of the Malaysian constitution back to the 1963 wording for Article 1, but minus the Singapore part. Now, the question you asked me was that, why did the constitution amendment fail? Uh, the constitutional amendment fell because largely because uh, GPS, the current ruling coalition in Sarawak, together with some parties in uh, Peninsula Malaysia, like PAS, refused to support the constitutional amendment. You have to understand that in the Malaysian constitution, if you want to amend the constitution, you need two-thirds majority. So the election results of 2018 was that Pakatan Harapan only had a slim majority. They did not have two-thirds majority. So in order for them to pass this constitutional amendment, they needed the support of GPS Sarawak, which is 18 seats, and one or two additional MPs from Peninsula Malaysia. They were not able to do it. Now, if you were to ask me what happened, I will tell you that GPS probably did it for political reasons. You have to remember that this idea of Malaysia agreement and the calls for the state of Sabah and Sarawak to fight for more autonomy under MACT3 is a very popular political platform in both states. So every political party in both Sabah and Sarawak will tell you that they're fighting for MA63. Now, can you imagine if GPS were to support Pakatan Harapan to get this constitutional amendment? This means that in the next state election or the next general election, Pakatan Harapan in Sarawak can say that, you see, since independence, GPS cannot do anything. You have to remember, GPS is actually the old Sarawak Barisan National. They have been in power since 1970. So Pakatan Harapan can go and tell the people, you know, we have only been in government for one year and we managed to pass the constitution amendment after being in government one year. Uh, GPN stroke Barisan National has not been able to do it after 40 years. So this will make Pakatan Harapan the heroes. So obviously, they really cannot support this for political reasons. Now, officially, if you speak to GPS, uh, they will tell you that the reason they did not support the Constitution Amendment was because they wanted to insert certain wordings into Article uh, 1.2. They wanted to insert the wordings pursuant to Malaysia Agreement 1963. Now, one of the interesting things about the Malaysian Constitution, the current version, is that the word Malaysia Agreement actually doesn't uh, it's, it's not actually in the constitution. Many people assume that Malaysia agreement is actually in the Malaysian constitution. I can guarantee you, if you do a word search, it doesn't exist. 
So that's the reason why uh, GPS wanted the word uh, Malaysia Agreement written into the constitution and amend another part of the Malaysian constitution to say that the Federation of Malaysia is based on the Malaysia Agreement. So for them, they also want to be heroes to say that, you know, we want to insert this, we are responsible for this. So you can see the problem here. PH was trying to be a hero by amending the constitution. GPS was also trying to be a hero by adding the word Malaysia Agreement. So obviously, these two political blocks cannot see eye to eye, and therefore, they could not pass the constitution amendment. Yeah, all right. Make so sure you cut do, and paste. Uh. Do you think, yeah, sure. Cut so properly. do you think that Sabah and Sarawak have lost the golden opportunity to restore oh, yes, their yes. Okay, original okay. status? Okay, I'll answer mm -hmm. that. So many people ask me, is this a lost opportunity? The answer is yes, it was a lost opportunity. Because if they had passed the amendment, it would be highly symbolic. Uh, there will be no other implications. A lot of people said that there will be implications like financial implications, other political implications. I can tell you that there is no such implications. The only implication is that it will be hugely symbolic. It will make quite a lot of ordinary Sabahans and Sarawakians happy. But other than that, it doesn't mean there's additional money to Sabah and Sarawak. It doesn't mean that they'll get more autonomy. It's largely symbolic. So it was a lost opportunity, and I'm not sure they can do it even today because both sides are now really do not have any numbers that is close to two thirds majority. So in fact, it's even much harder to pass that constitution amendment today. All right. Okay. Thank yep. you. Thank you, Dr. James. Yep. So we are done with the first part. I will pass to Mr. Tan to conduct interview for the second part. And Mr. Tan. Right. Thank Right, thank you, Jelly. So yeah, so for the next question is, in your opinions, what are the other significant steps and the difficulties may be faced in restoring the constitution status of Sabah and Sarawak, which was in line with the MA63? Um, there was actually uh, no significant problems if uh, all the major political parties uh, recognize the need to address MSCC3. The way I look at it is that MSCC3 is a historical grievance. It's something that happened in the past of the Federation of Malaysia that needs to be fixed because people are very angry about it. So in terms of historical grievances, again, the situation in Sabah and Sarawak is not unique. All this is part of what we call colonial legacies. So you can see around the world, right? There are many parts of the world where there were issues that were created during colonial rule that has not been resolved politically. Yeah? Uh, the most famous example, of course, is places like Indonesia. You can see in Indonesia, there are many, many provinces in Indonesia that were carved out during the colonial process and they became part of Indonesia after independence. But the problem is that many parts of this area do not fit nicely into the Indonesia. And I'll just give you two examples, which I think your listeners are very, uh, what do you call it, have, have heard of it before. One is Aceh. Aceh is located in the north of Sumatra. So officially, they're part of Indonesia, but they never really fit into this Indonesian nation. And for years, they tried to fight for independence. They were not able to. So finally, they signed an agreement with Jakarta to get maximum autonomy. So one of the interesting things about Indonesia is that if you go to Indonesia today and if you go to visit Aceh, you actually operate under a separate set of laws in Aceh compared to the rest of Indonesia. 
So, for example, many of the Islamic laws that are not valid on the island of Java is actually valid in Aceh because of the autonomy laws. Same thing with another famous province in Indonesia, a province called West Papua. So if you go to West Papua, West Papua, the people there actually looks very different from Indonesians because these people are Melanesians. Uh, Melanesians are people from the South Pacific. And yet, you know, because of historical reasons, they become part of Indonesia. So there are people that are also unhappy. They also want independence. So this sort of thing is very much linked to history and linked to the colonial legacies. So in other words, what I'm telling you is that the problem with Sabah and Sarah is due to this colonial legacy called the Malaysia Agreement 63. And this thing has not been addressed for the past 60 years since Malaysia became a federation. And that if the Putrajaya or the federal government does not address this unhappiness among the people of Sabah and Sarah, this will lead to a lot of political problems in the future. So what can the federal government do to address uh, these issues? Well, I think there are several things that the federal government has done. Uh, but before I, 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 I will give you a, a rundown of what the federal government can do, I have to say that the federal government since 2009, uh, more than 10 years ago, the federal government has set up a series of uh, federal level committees to try to solve this issue. Uh. For example, administratively, they've tried to decentralize and give some of the powers back to the state government of Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, but the problem is that there's certain big issues that they cannot resolve. So for example, uh, the people of Sabah and Sarawak are very unhappy that uh, oil and gas resources found in the two states, especially off the coast, right? Uh, they think it's unfair that they get a very small share. So the general feeling of the people of Sabah and Sarawak is that we produce the bulk of the oil and yet, according to the uh, Petronas Agreement, we only get a 5% royalty. And the fact is, Sabah and Sarawak, if you look at the poverty figures, uh, the states with the highest level of poverty in Malaysia for a very, very long time uh, has been uh, Sabah, Kelantan, and Sarawak. And these are the oil-producing states. So many people are very unhappy about that. But the problem is that uh, the federal government relies on the oil and gas resources to fund much of its development project. So on the other hand, the federal government cannot give this back to the states as well. So a lot of these uh, are long-standing issues which can't be resolved at the present moment. However, having said that, uh, the federal government can do quite a lot of stuff. So in addition to giving more autonomy to Sabah and Sarawak, they can, for example, uh, provide a bigger allocation in terms of development funding to Sabah and Sarawak recognizing the fact that these are very big states with a long period of uh, high poverty levels. And in the case of Sabah, they can also deal with an issue, although it's not related to MA63, it is related to unhappiness with federal state system, and that's the PTI issue or the illegal migrant issue in Sabah. I think many people in Peninsular Malaysia uh, do not know how serious the issue is. Uh, I'll tell it to you in a very simple way. Can you imagine if Selangor, one-third of the population of Selangor who hold IC cards or Malaysian citizenship are actually not born in Selangor. They just came in suddenly in the last 30 years and given blue ICs and suddenly became citizens of Selangor or Malaysia. So that's the situation you have in Sabah now. Uh, roughly one-third of the Sabah population are actually people born outside Sabah they came into Sabah illegally and end up holding citizenship. So this has created a lot of problems for the 
uh, Sabah, the real Sabahans, and they're very unhappy about it. And they think that the federal government is not doing uh, you know, enough on, on this issue. Uh, the other several things that the federal government can do in relation to Sabah and Sarawak, uh, besides autonomy and more development funding, is actually to provide uh, help to the natives of Sabah and Sarawak. That's another big issue. Huh? As you know, under Malaysia's affirmative action policies, uh, Bumibu Trust in Malaysia are supposed to be given help uh, in order to advance their socio-economic status. But the natives of Sabah and Sarawak uh, keep telling me, right, uh, in terms of the implementation, most of the benefits of the affirmative action goes to the Malay community. So that's the reason why the Bumbu Trust of Sabah and Sarawak call themselves third-class Bumbu Trust. So they're not getting enough help. And I think that there is a lot of uh, solid arguments that they need additional help. So maybe you need to, you know, going and provide a new, a new sort of affirmative action policies just targeted at the natives of Sabah and Sarawak. So those are some of the things that you can do uh, to actually alleviate the, the, what they call it, the unhappiness in Sabah and Sarawak. And all these things can be done quite easily at the federal level. Right. Thank you for the insightful sharing about these questions. So uh, we will proceed to the next question, which uh, from the perspective of economics, uh, what are the possible impacts if Sabah and Sarawak succeed in restoring their constitutional status? Uh, there is no uh, uh, financial implications directly. The only one that I can think of is that uh, part of the Malaysia agreement that was written into the Malaysian constitution is that Sabah is supposed to get a rebate of 40% of all the taxes collected in Sabah. Uh, but that thing has been there uh, since day one from 1963. Uh, it's just that the federal government has never transferred the money to Sabah since the 1970s. Uh, so even if you amend the constitution and grant Sabah and Sarawak uh, special status, or say uh, one of three in the Malaysian Federation, uh, is not going to lead to any uh, other implications because things like the budget process, all those things are actually uh, separate from the constitution. Uh, there's a separate formula for calculating uh, how much money every state gets. Uh, those are actually uh, purely uh, not written in the constitution in more of an administrative matter or government policy. So uh, even if you restore the status of Sabah and Sarawak in the constitution, most of it will be purely symbolic. Other, as I mentioned, other than the 40%, but it's always been there. It's just that it's never been carried out. Another thing that the federal government can do, and I think is really important, and it's not only benefiting Sabah and Sarawak, is that the federal government should revamp the entire Malaysian history textbook, especially how uh, history is taught in Malaysia. Uh, I think if you were to go back to secondary school textbooks, you find that there's actually very little uh, thought in terms of what actually happened in Sabah and Sarawak and the formation of uh, Malaysia. Uh, most of the history is presented in terms of uh, Malay Islamic history. And I think uh, while that is true, I think there is uh, also a point about uh, making sure that the history of the Federation of Malaysia, especially the history of Sabah and Sarawak, is, is taught properly and given additional space. Uh, I think it's very important that the younger generation understand how the Federation came about and that it is not purely, uh, the Federation of Malaysia is not purely a very Malayan-centric history. And I think if they were to do that, I think a lot of people in Sabah and Sarawak will appreciate this action. Uh, 
we will proceed to the next questions. So do you hold out any hope of a restoration of the constitutional status of Sabah and Sarawak, which uh, guarantees federal equality? Um, is there a possibility that the constitution will be amended to better reflect uh, the partnership between uh, Malaya, Sabah and Sarawak? Uh, at the present moment, it's highly unlikely because the political situation at the federal government is still very unstable. Uh, as I said earlier, in order for you to amend the federal constitution, you need two-thirds majority. Uh, to get two-thirds majority basically means that you need support from both sides, huh? both the government and the opposition side. Uh, at the present moment, I think uh, both sides are preparing for the next general election, GE15. So I think uh, they will not be doing constitutional amendment relating to Sabah and Sarawak uh, in the near future. Now, after GE15, the situation may be different. But between now and GE15, I think the political situation is such that a lot of emphasis is about trying to restore uh, some sort of political stability and secondly, to sort out uh, Malay politics. I think Malay politics in Malaya or the Malay Peninsula is, uh, how should I put it, fragmented. I think there's a, there's a, there's going to be a big political fight coming up between Amno, Besatu, and PAS, and I think they need to sort that out before uh, we can get some sort of political stability. And you can only deal with the issue of Sabah and Sarawak if you get political stability. So everything between now and GE15, I don't think they can sort out this issue. Right. Thank you for the response. Yeah, so we will proceed to the last questions. So do you have any words for the youth in putting efforts in, into this issue? So for the young people of Malaysia, I think it's crucially important that you understand uh, the real history of Malaysia. And unfortunately, the real history of Malaysia is not what you find in the history textbooks in the school. Uh, it is not the sort of history that's been taught in Malaysian universities. You really need to read wider than that. On the issue of Sabah and Sarawak, I would suggest to young people, especially people from Peninsula Malaysia, if you get a chance, of course, in a post-COVID, uh, not now, uh, in post-COVID situation, you should try to make a visit to Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, you will find that both states are very, very different. In fact, a lot of my Peninsula Malaysia friends who's been to Sarawak uh, tells me that it's like going to a different country. And also, there are lots of students from uh, Sabah and Sarawak uh, studying in, in, in Peninsula Malaysia in all the universities there. I think you should make an effort to get to know them and understand their culture and understand their beliefs. And I think there are lots of uh, good things about Sabah and Sarawak uh, that can be used to teach Peninsula Malaysians, especially in the area of communal relations, in the area of religious harmony. I think as Malaysia move forward, I think uh, you know we should understand each other in the federation, and not everything is about the clan valley. Not everything is about Kuala Lumpur. I think Malaysia is a much more interesting place, and some of the more interesting places Malaysia is located on the island of Borneo, which is just a two-hour flight away. Yeah. So thank you for the response. Um, and this will be the last question now. And we would like to express our gratitude to uh, Dr. James Chin uh, to become one of the guest speakers for our academic podcast. Yeah, so thank you very much. Brought to you by 
the Secretary of Current Affairs, UMSU.